2020, eh? an end of a decade and about to start a new one. I've, uh, I've been on social media. I, I'm not a big social media fan, but I was on it the other day and I noticed that lots of people are doing like a 10-year challenge, putting up photographs of themselves or loved ones 10 years ago, and then they're putting one up of themselves. And so I thought I'd do the same. So um, there you go. Look at that. Some of you, 10 years ago, I had hair. <laughs> no, I know. I borrowed it. From Victoria. <laughs> Some of us have got a few more wrinkles. Some of us a little bit less hair. Well, as we come into this new year, I'm sure a bunch of us come with some hopes, some dreams, maybe some expectations about life. I mean, I'm a goal setter by nature, so I come and use this time to think through I'm going to set a few goals. Anyone else going to be doing that? Maybe setting out some goals around what our eating habits are going to be like over the next year. Um, what our exercise routine, not looking at anyone. Anyone? Not really looking at anyone. Haven't seen Amy in the gym for a while. You know, just picking on people now. You know, well, you know, I think some some of us do this. Don't we? What 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 are, what are our habits? What habits are we going to kind of try and break? You know, what what kind of new rhythm are we going to implement? I think as we come into a new year, we start to think about the stewardship of our lives. I think we do, don't we? It's a natural kind of moment. Some of you. I mean, I know the, the youth have just gone up to a coffee shop, but a whole bunch of them are probably thinking, uh, and maybe some students are thinking exams are coming imminently. So that's right in the forefront of your minds and careers to think about. Perhaps this decade, maybe a decade where you're not preparing for an exam, but maybe you're getting ready for retirement. Whatever that looks like. Preparing yourselves for more time to spend and to do things and to spend time with people and do things that you value more. Maybe we're preparing ourselves over the next 10 years for some loss, actually, and some grief. Maybe that's just because we've got parents and loved ones of a particular age. And so actually, as we come into this new year and decade, we're actually thinking ahead and thinking, actually, I need to prepare myself for some loss. And so we may be entering this turning moment with some trepidation, or perhaps some of us with fresh excitement as well. Maybe you're going to, be, you know, over the next 10 years, we could be grandparents or parents or might have a new sister or brother. I don't know. Life moves on. Families expand. When I just mentioned grandparents, some of you, the eyebrows already went, Whoa. some of you are like, parents. Whoa. I'm thinking grandparent. Where are my kids? <laughs> I guess, you know, India's 17. I'm thinking the next 10 years, she could be married. 
I don't know what to think about that. There's like excitement on one hand and that's not going to happen. I've got a shotgun ready for the guy. You know, did you see what I mean? We come into these moments, don't we, with all sorts of possibilities and thoughts and expectations and hopes and dreams. Maybe 2020 is really going to be the decade where we really take the stewardship of the planet seriously. We really take it on. If you haven't already done so, maybe it's time to pick a fight with plastic once and for all and join the extraordinary Greta Thunberg. So we come to these lines in time with a bunch of hopes. But what might Jesus say to us at the beginning of a new decade? Just over after Christmas, I picked up my Bible and I just thought, hey, what? what Lord, what do you want to say to me? What, what do you want to say to us? And I've been reflecting on two sentences that Jesus um, says to his friends. And in the context of it is when he gathers his friends around him right on the end of an era. It's literally the day before he goes to the cross and ushers in a whole new era. And it feels like that's a good moment, isn't it? What does Jesus say to his disciples in the moment where in time something fresh and brand new is about to happen and begin through the work of the cross and his resurrection? And so he gathers his friends around him. He has this dinner party and I'm sure lots of us have had dinners and lots of Christmas stuff going on and it's a celebration moment here is Jesus gathering his friends to have a Passover meal a meal that was the beginning of a new era for the Israelites as they commemorated coming out of slavery of Egypt and into all of the promises that God had laid out before them here is Jesus having a meal with his friends he's gathered them around and he's bringing new meaning to this meal and he adds an object lesson to the meal And so he gets up and he, he pours water into a basin and he wraps a towel around his waist. And then he begins to wash his friend's feet. Let's put ourselves in this room for a few moments. The master, the teacher, the king is serving his friends. The creator is washing creation. Pretty wild, isn't it? The creator is washing creation. It's this incredible act, beautiful and challenging. And then he says these two sentences. And they're going to come up on the screen. He says this. A new command I give you. Or you could say. A fresh injunction, or better, a fresh instruction I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone, all men, all people will know that you are my disciples and my followers. 
This is a pivotal moment in time, isn't it? A pivotal moment in time. The cross is looming. It's the last step of a millennia. And this is what Jesus chooses to say to his gathered disciples. This is what Jesus chooses to say to them there. And I think it echoes through time to us. I think Jesus wants to remind us of this. this. Let this be a decade, a year. Not, the, not, not just a year to remember, but actually a year to put into practice this command. In fact, actually, you know what? Um, if you take out the spaces and remove the numbers, 139 characters. Jesus tweeted this. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we love, don't we, condensed sort of um, information, don't we? This is like Jesus' life, the gospel, his teachings, all kind of condensed into 139, 140 characters. If we're going to do anything this year, maybe these two super simple yet really challenging sentences of Jesus could be the thing that could shape our lives afresh. Jesus is reshaping the borders of what it means to love. He's pushing out the boundaries beyond what the disciples understood was how to love and how to engage with one another. He's challenging them on what their society said about loving one another. And actually that comes through time to us. We, we think we know what it means to love one another. Our society tells us a whole load of stuff, doesn't it? <laughs> about what it means to love. But Jesus is saying, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And therefore suddenly... That takes on new meaning. He's not really saying anything new all the way through the Bible story, all the way through the meta-narrative of the Bible from the beginning of time to this point. God has commanded his people to love one another, hasn't he? But in this moment, with Jesus washing his disciples' feet and then the cross looming, it takes on a deeper and more powerful meaning. It actually broadens... Uh, that, that, and kind of deepens and widens what love really is. And I wonder if we could maybe explore that over the next year or two. Let's not just know it here, but let's actually know it here and then know it in our hands and our feet and how we love one another. Love as I have loved. And I'm sure... When you hear that, immediately you're like, so how did Jesus love people? And I'm sure maybe now, even now in your own heads and hearts, there are incidences of the gospel coming to mind. The tenderness of touching the untouchable, including the un unincluded. I love those moments even when Jesus is tired 
And children come in and around his sphere. And the disciples are shooing them away. And what does he do? He says, no, 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 let them come. Those without a voice, he allows in. He's rewriting the love story. Across ages, stages, races, roles. The rich. The ridiculed. The poor. I love how he... How he, 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 he has lunch with a rip-off merchant like Zacchaeus. You see, his love is proactive. He, he doesn't wait for the invitation from Zacchaeus. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. It's a love that doesn't always ask permission. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we're in a society that says, you can't do anything unless you have my permission. Jesus didn't ask for permission to love. His love was invasive. (laughs) And then he doesn't only just teach about the good Samaritan. And I don't know about you, but when when we hear the good Samaritan story, who are you in this Samaritan story? Because 90% of the time, we're the hero. We make ourselves the one that would cross the road. You know what Jesus does? He doesn't just teach on it. In the Gospel of John, he leads his friends into the heart of the Samaritan nation. To a well where there is a Samaritan woman. You see, his love is breaking all sorts of cultural and gender boundaries. You see, his love is invasive. He doesn't ask permission. He just takes those men and women. And, he, and why? He's saying, because my love, I want to show you that my love engages with all people. And there is no place that my love cannot flow. In that context of that moment, what does he say? He says, I am living water in this well. I'm the living water. You can't can't stop it from flowing to places that nobody else wants to go. I love that about Jesus. Sweet, isn't it? Love like I have loved you. That's what Jesus is saying. It's an invasive love. And then let's just think about, we're in the room, yeah? We're having dinner with Jesus. He's just washed our feet. He's in the room. Who's in the room? Let's think about that for a second. We've got a group of 12 disciples and they are an odd bunch, aren't they? These 12 had very little in common with one another. Unpredictable fisherman, a fanatic Jewish nationalist. I mean, I bet he was intense to be around. Simon the Zealot. And right next to him in the same pew is Matthew, the tax collector and con man. I mean, how have they ended up in the same room? Because of Jesus' love. 
His love has pulled this dynamic, diverse group of men together. This Matthew tax collector and turncoat, skeptics, pessimists, got two sons of thunder that kept losing the rag with one another. There's nobody in this room like that at all, are there? No sons of thunder in here. Nobody, we're, 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 we're Christians, we don't get angry, do we? <laughs> Am I being naughty? Yes. And a covetous betrayer. I mean, this is a diverse group of people. And they are in the same room because of his love. It's his love that holds them together. It's his love that's called them together. It's his love that's commissioned them together. Just look around the room, guys, just for a minute. Love as I have loved you. Just for a second, look around. We've got some skeptics in the room. We've got some pessimists in the room. We've got maybe not unpredictable fishermen, but I tell you what, we've got some unpredictable other people in the room, including me. Very much, I would put myself in that category. We've got some doubters in the room, haven't we? I'm there. You ever doubted? We've got people from all sorts of backgrounds in the room. Why are we in this room? Because we felt the love and the call of Jesus on our lives. You see, the church is the one place. You know, this is the beginning of the church. And Jesus starts as he means to go on. And he gathers an eclectic, imperfect group of people. Because that's what his love does. I was really encouraged this Christmas. My in-laws came to stay for a few days. And um, for those of you that know my uh, in-laws, Victoria's mum and dad, they've been in ministry for a long time. They were Church of Scotland minister and uh, extraordinary ministry in Dundee and then in Edinburgh and um, Wester Hales, you know, tough, tough area of Wester Hales. And he came to our Christmas morning service. Who was here on Christmas morning? A few folks. It was hilarious. I mean, we had a, a moment with a cracker down here at the front. Uh, where there was a tug of war between two Fergusons. And I think, I can't remember which one won, but he got dragged across the stage because the cracker wouldn't pull in two. Anyway, that's a by and by. We got home and Stan Senior. He said, you know, I really enjoyed this morning. I said, I said well, what did you enjoy about it? He said, I looked around the room and I saw such a diversity of age and stage and race and lifestyle backgrounds. He said, your church is diverse. Here's a guy who's been in ministry for 40 plus years. He's like, that is the church. Jesus, at the, the few hours before the cross, is saying to his disciples, love each other as I have loved you. And that's just the blokes he's talked about. There's a bunch of women in the room as well. 
They don't get a mention, but up until this point, it talks about all these ladies and the diversity of their lives that have gathered around Jesus as well. Some of them have come from really poor and impoverished and tough backgrounds, probably with, to say the least, some interesting backgrounds like Mary Magdalene. It says seven demons were cast out of her. I bet she was a character. And then Joanna. Joanna's husband was the manager of King Herod's household. I mean, how diverse can you get? Possibly a woman of the street on one hand and a manager's wife on the other. And guess what? They're in the same room. Why? Because they're around Jesus. It's Jesus' love. His invasive love has invited them to be part of something extraordinary. Come on. Let's love one another as I have loved you. You see, when we experience his love the way that they experienced his love, you cannot help beginning to love other people as he loves us. That's the deal. They're intrinsically connected. And so he's saying to them, a new, a new command. He says, I want you to love one another and wash each other's feet and go the extra. Connect with one another. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, in that moment, he says, I don't call you my servants anymore. I call you my friends. Logos, living Logos, creator, calls them friends. Jesus is about creating a community of friendship. I was in a meeting with Chuck and Taryn before Christmas and I don't know uh, if those of you who are visiting Chuck and Taryn are our lead pastors and I can't remember exactly the context of our meeting but, but Chuck said something and I don't know where he got it or if he's coined it, maybe it is a Chuck Freeland original but this is what he said. And it, it suddenly, you know, you don't, when you hear something sometimes, it just, something just happens, doesn't it? In my spirit. It just leapt. He says this, we want to be a friendly church, don't we? Would we agree? I mean, our welcome team, Adrian, and you guys, you guys do an amazing job. I think you make we are a friendly church. I'm not saying that just so let's pat each other on the back. But I think we are a friendly church. But we really want to be a church where friendships are made. We want to be a church where real friendships are made. Love as I have loved. This goes beyond a nice welcome. It goes beyond politeness and cordiality. It's a love that makes room for others in our lives. It creates a space. It's proactive that reaches beyond our own little worlds, our own little flats, our own houses. It invites others in. Just as we've been invited into his. I wonder if we're entering a decade where we, the church, has something of a solution 
not only to the plastic waste in the environment, but to man-made, plastic-polluting, painful waste of disappointment found in the shallows of man-made relationships. Authenticity in friendships is gold dust. It's actually the gospel. Love one another as I have loved you. I call you my friends. Are we just going to be a nice church? Are we just going to remain a friendly place? I'm living with this. I I actually don't quite know fully what I'm going to do with it in my own personal life. But are we going to be a church where friendships are made? And if you make something, there's an intentionality about it. I went to art school. If you're going to make something, You've got to get the materials together. You've got to throw the clay on the wheel. You've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to mold this thing. Friendships are made. Disciples are made. There is a making process. And so what I'm suggesting is we can be welcoming and we can be friendly. But if we want to make friends then it probably is going to cost. It probably is going to be, you've got to take a risk. You've got to take a risk with opening up your home. Take a risk with your kitchen. Take a risk by walking across, not just maybe this room, but other rooms, And have a conversation with someone you wouldn't normally. I wonder if we could follow his love into other people's lives. And go on a fresh friendship adventure. I want to ask us all not to wait for others this year. Let's not wait for others But why don't we take the first step? His love's proactive. It's invasive. So, are you ready? Single people, we love you. I love you. But please don't wait for couples and families to invite you for lunch. The same spirit of God is in me that is in you. And wherever the spirit of God goes, he seeks to create community. So I want to suggest, and we're going to go through a bunch of people today. Singles, don't wait for, for some of us who have families to invite you. Why don't you invite us or them and other singles? Let's create community Time and time again, I have had conversations in 2019 with a whole group of people. I am lonely. And part of the issue is this. Sometimes the lonely 
don't want to be proactive either. If we have the love of Christ in us, it is an invasive, inviting love that flows out to other people. We become part of the solution. Families, let's not be totally wrapped up in our own family. <laughs> Thank goodness Jesus didn't operate that way. His family... This, in the sense, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit couldn't just be there, had to get involved with us. <laughs> so families, please, let's not spend the next year totally wrapped up with our own stuff. Let's look beyond the borders of our own children, our own love in our own family and go, hey, I'm going to crack open the door. I'm going to go hang out with some other people. I'm going to invite them into my life. In fact, I'm going to invite my, I'm going to proactively invite myself into theirs. Young people, I mean, most of them aren't in the room today. They've gone out for a coffee. I want to say to the young people, the teenagers and the students, you do not need our permission to do this. I don't know about you, but teenagers and young people were known to be a bit rebellious and pushing the boundaries. I want them to push the boundaries of friendship. I can say this because India's not in the room, but she had 20 of her friends in our house at New Year. I loved it. We had a whole group from church and a whole group from school. It wasn't segregated. It's just friends. Let's love one another as I have loved you. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's cross some boundaries. I'm sorry, retired, older, maturer, wiser. I'm never quite sure what word to use. You're not getting off the hook. Please do not stick to your own. When was the last time you had a 20-year-old in your own home? When was the last time you had a 20-year-old around your life? Students, the students, I want to be saying to the students, get out of the bubble. Jesus' love did, wasn't in a bubble, was it? It broke out of the bubble. I want to say to students, you should be connecting with, yes, your own, but go beyond one of the things that I'm excited about, me and, 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 and two or three others, we're, 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 we're kind of in the background and we're formulating, we're, we're kind of getting creative. We want to put on a multi-generational meal this year. Three or four times this year, we want to gather a whole bunch of students and a whole bunch of retired, mature, wiser people. And we want to bring them together and have lunch after services. Because I don't know about you. But my gran is 96. She's not going to be around for much more longer. I don't get the opportunity to have those conversations with someone from an older generation that can teach us a whole load of stuff. Wouldn't it be amazing that this church gets known? That this is a place where young and old are friends. Like real friends. Come on, let's love one another as he has loved 
us. Let's crack out of our cultural norms. Hey, listen, Brazilian, African, Eastern European brothers and sisters. Us Brits need you. We do. We need your perspective. We need your exuberance. We need your insight. We need your challenge. Can I, and I, I'm just looking around. Please, let's not stick to our own. Let's not stick to our own little enclaves of, of what we are comfortable with in our own little cultural domains. And that goes for us. Let's break out of them. Because you have Jesus' love in you and I do too. And I want to touch the flavor of what God is doing in your life. And vice versa. Could we make this a year or a decade where this church moves from being really friendly to a place where real friendships are made? I put my hand up. There are times when I don't want to do it. I just don't. I don't have the energy sometimes. I know some of you can't believe that. But it's true. But if we all agree. And say, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone. I'm going to invite some people into my life. I'm going to make sure that visitors that come here do not leave without being connected with. And genuinely, let's go for a drink or a cuppa or a lunch. Please, I'm going to say this at the beginning of this year. You do not need my permission to invite people to lunch. Can we just do it? friendship people stick around when there's real friendship and then finally this I was only going to speak for 20 15 20 minutes and then let's, let's just land on this he says by this by this love all people will know you're my disciples. They will understand, comprehend, and experience Jesus. Loving like Jesus will never stay private. It cannot. It will not. His love isn't a private gig. It just blows out. It's a secret that can't be kept. We spend probably 60 to 70% of our lives in a working environment. Or at school or at university. Or if you're a full-time parent, you're around your kids and around other parents. Or you're around the school. You're spending an enormous amount of time out, in amongst, around other people. Think about the person next to you in your office. Or maybe you work on a rig. Maybe you're a decorator and you're fixing up houses. Maybe you're a mechanic and you're working on a car or you're dealing with customers and you've got a team that you manage. 
Maybe you're the receptionist. You're the face of the company. Maybe you're a lecturer, teacher. The variety of this room I know of is huge. The space, the places that you touch in this world are so diverse. If we love as he has loved us. People will know that you are his disciples. And they will taste his love. They will feel his love. They will see his love in action. John 15. Jesus almost repeats this. Um few sentences and then he just adds a little bit to it and he says now go bear fruit fruit that will last when we love like Jesus there is fruitfulness in our character but actually what he's starting to talk about there is there is fruitfulness that will last in other words he's saying you will be a fruitful disciple and you will make disciples and you will bring people to Christ you know as I look Ahead, I would love to baptize a whole bunch of people. Gideon, your baptism was awesome, wasn't it, last year? It was one of my highlights. I think one of the highlights in the church. We loved it. But you know what? We would leave, we, wouldn't, you want, wouldn't we want to see 20, 30 Gideons this coming year? I feel like the Lord just wants to say to us, that's not going to happen unless we really love one another and our work colleagues and our friends and our neighbors as Jesus has loved us. And so if you haven't already noticed, there are two things that's in my heart for this year that I'd love us to push down on or ask the Spirit to do something in us. And I think when we are asking God for stuff, we don't, we're not passive in that. We need to take a step into it and say, I'm going to take a risk and a step. And, then I, and as I'm doing that, I'm asking you, Lord, to, do, to enact something in my life. And those two things. The first thing is that we would move from just being a friendly church to a place where friends are really made. The question I'm asking myself and I want to ask us today, at the beginning of a new year is, what's your role? What are you going to do about that? And the other is this, I really do not want to fill your life with more church activity. But I want to ask that your workplaces become the place of kingdom activity. That you get filled up when you come here and you flow out when you're at work or in the gym or wherever you are. Two really simple things for us as we head into 2020. Is that all right? I've got increasingly croaky. Why don't we stand?